Welcome to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Kat. And I'm Rich. Mrs. Robinson, I can't do this. You what? This is all terribly wrong. Do you find me undesirable? Oh, no, Mrs. Robinson. I think, I think you're the most attractive of all my parents' friends. I mean that. I find you desirable, but I... For God's sake, can you imagine my parents? Can you imagine what they would say if they just saw us here in this room right now? What would they say? I have no idea, Mrs. Robinson, but for God's sake, they brought me up. They made a good life for me, and I think they deserve better than this. I think they deserve a little better than jumping into bed with the partner's wife. Are you afraid of me? Oh, no, you're missing the point. Look, maybe we could do something else together. Mrs. Robinson, would you like to go to a movie? In this episode, we're talking about the hugely influential and gigantic box office hit The Graduate from 1967, directed by Mike Nichols with a screenplay by Buck Henry and Calder Willingham, based on the novel by Charles Webb. This film was nominated for seven Academy Awards, winning Best Director for Nichols. Tonight we'll be pouring a scotch for Benjamin, played by Dustin Hoffman, and Mrs. Robinson, played by Anne Bancroft, before buying a burger for Elaine, played by Catherine Ross. Does this affair between Ben and Mrs. Robinson really mean something, or might they as well have been shaking hands? So I think it's quite curious for us to talk about this film partly based on when we were born, Rich, because it kind of deals with the moment in time that our parents' generation were kind of coming into their own, um, being of a certain age, wondering whether to stick with the decisions that the generation before theirs had gone with or whether to go with some of the values that this counterculture was extolling around them. Like I I had a look earlier on at the UK charts from 1967 and you've got like at the, you know, the biggest selling stuff is by Engelbert Humperdinck and, you know, Tom Jones and Sandy Shaw. But then you've got really, really cool stuff sort of coming up below it by the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Jimi Hendrix. And you you get this real sense of there being these two sort of things where there's this tension between between them. I mean, it's interesting to think when you compare it to, to films throughout, you know, from, well, let's put it, this is year zero. And when you look at films where there is a, a relationship of sorts between people from supposedly two different generations, I mean, you know, you can get it from going to Back to the Future if you're going really weird, where there's people of his own generation and when his parents were his age and how much things have changed. And then this film is so culturally well-known that I'd only seen the film for the first time uh, a year or two ago and yet everyone knows who about what mrs robinson is yeah um, everyone knows roughly it's the story of a relationship between an older woman and a younger guy um it gets parodied in everything from wayne's world to and you know american pie goes off in a different tangent with the the sort of young kid and the <laughs> the mom and everything like that and when you look at how much it's kind of influenced popular culture and yet at the the very nub of it it is two people who find each other attractive and they're not destined to be together for various reasons um it's funny when you come at it at a very basic angle and yet the fact that she's his parents friend 
it kind of plays then on. I mean, obviously he's not a teenager, but it's you know something like the in betweeners, where everyone fancies Will's mum. Yeah. You know, and, and they kind of lust after her, and it's almost like it's a kind of teenage boy's dream, and yet for him, it becomes difficult because there's issues that his parents want him to date her daughter, and she doesn't want it because of the jealousy and and all the experiences in her life that have kind of got her into a place that really she's unhappy and and it's it's difficult to put yourself into that position but it's so well acted it's so well written that watching it even now you know 50 odd years later it's still as relevant as it ever was yeah i think that you can't really underestimate the influence of, of this film and how it's affected so many of the things that have become really popular even when you're watching episodes of friends particularly early ones, there's something about Ross Geller in Friends and his performance of some some of the kind of like social awkwardness that he goes through that I really think is a bit informed by Dustin Hoffman's portrayal of Ben in this film. We've watched High Fidelity and we've talked about High Fidelity and I can remember complaining that in High Fidelity there's a scene in the book that they didn't really kind of go through in detail in the film Um, which is when uh, the protagonist has a little fling with the musician and in the book they take you through all the kind of awkwardness of how he decides to make his move and whether or not he wants to and so on and so forth. And in the film they kind of miss that bit out and they make it all going to go quite smoothly and I was quite disappointed because I think that The Graduate as a film shows you how some of the best, you know, or at least some of the most kind of accurate things that you can say through film about the interaction between people when they're trying to kind of maneuver themselves into a situation where they might sleep together. It's that's some of the most fascinating and funny and relatable stuff you can see on screen, I think, when it's done as well as it is here. And it's so universal, isn't it? From, you know, a lot of people, whether it's no matter what your gender or your background, you know, if you're confronted by someone who's in Benjamin's case, young and, and fairly inexperienced in life. And if you're, say, proposed to, propositioned by someone who's older and more experienced and sexually, I'd say, aggressive, but certainly more confident, he's so awkward in the scene, the the famous scene where he takes her home after the party. Yeah. And she is just openly without saying to it at first that comes a little bit later but you know he's so uncomfortable he he miss he thinks he misconstrues everything that's said and she's just sitting there enjoying playing <laughs> with him a little bit yeah um you know and, and i mean that's dustin hoffman isn't it i mean he's such a good actor and he's not typecast to that point but he's so good at playing that part even though he was i think 30 when this was made playing someone 10 years junior yes yeah, I'd go so far as to say I think this might be, I think it might be my favourite performance from an actor in a film ever. Actually, I think it's I think it's that good. I think it's that it's that like particularly. I think I've said you know I said this to you the other night when um, you were watching it that I think the first hour in particular of this film is just as good as filmmaking gets in terms of the amount of my experience of films anyway, and. It's just I just don't know how he does it. There's there's something about the kind of it's so funny, it's so subtle, it's so it's so human, and really catches a, a certain moment in time. I think 
of your life. You don't have to be so nervous, you know. Nervous? Well, I am a bit nervous. I mean, it's pretty hard to be swallowed. Did you get us a room? What? Have you gotten us a room yet? I haven't, no. Do you want to? Well, I don't. I mean, I could. Or we could just talk. You want me to get it? You? Oh, no, no, I get it. Do you want to get it now? Now? Yes. Well, I don't know. Why don't you get it? Why don't I get it? Well, I will then, if you'll excuse me. I think that what it does as a film, in terms of exploring the relationship between the two of them, is that it shows you what bad things can happen when someone at, their, at the point of life when they're in an agony over whether or not they're going to be able to make decisions comes into contact with someone who's kind of trying to escape the consequences of their decisions in Mrs. Robinson's case, being in a marriage and kind of, you know, and regretting having, or possibly regretting having given up the fact that, you know, she was studying art, she fell pregnant, she had to marry this guy, and you get the feeling that they weren't really in love. And even though there's a lot of debates, aren't there, about whether or not big age differences between people in relationships are a good or a bad idea, and people take different views on that. And I think that, you know, it just entirely depends on what the situation is but I think that this film shows you how sometimes it can be pretty dangerous when two people at such different points meet for the sake of the fling what do you think well very much so because I guess for her and this is something we haven't explored before in that this is a sort of love triangle where her competition is her own daughter yeah and while it's not a direct thing she doesn't want Benjamin to date her daughter when he does eventually you know this is pressure from his parents and and her father to try and get like an arranged marriage I guess in in that kind of that class system that's probably the done thing but um when yeah he he takes her on the world's worst date I mean that's not the sort of thing you'd really get much of a second chance at normally if you uh if you met someone these days and took them to a, a burlesque club. I mean, I suppose burlesque might be the wrong term because that's quite trendy now, isn't it? But um, I think mm. back then that kind of that kind of club was certainly not the sort of place you take a young lady if you're courting. Um, <laughs> courting. And his attitude. And I think he realised quite quickly that the date wasn't... I think he felt sorry and um, and suddenly everything got back on track yeah. And the fact then that Mrs. Robinson became jealous. I mean, she'd made a point of saying, don't date her, don't date her. He did it anyway, and then it yeah. started going well. So then it, it that was when the film kind of turned. It, it got darker. Yeah. Um, when she'd alleged that she'd been raped. And it's so powerful, you know, the, especially now. I mean, that language is very powerful. And, and making an allegation like that you know about what was a you know we've seen it was a consensual affair yeah but um you know from his point of view he's kind of had his cake and eaten it and then he's going out with someone who's seemingly far more suitable for him yeah and then that that's taken from him as well it's a difficult situation to be in because it, it doesn't 
dispel the stereotypes of these illicit affairs where they go off to a hotel somewhere and they don't talk and when they do it makes things awkward yes you know m- many a premier in has seen argument, <laughs> ar- has seen arguments like that i'm sure but um yeah it's um it's not one for pushing the boundaries and that but then i guess from one point of view probably, you know it's 1967 it's probably set those stereotypes and that's where they've come from i don't know about your experiences but i can remember having having a having a, a, rela- a relationship of sorts with a with a young man it wasn't in any way that there was no big age difference or anything like that when i was 20 years old as well and i was thinking about how um in that montage of this film the way you have him sort of drifting in the pool during the days and then sort of with her in the night and it all becomes like this sort of dreamlike state and i was thinking about how when I had that thing, which would have been during a summer as well, how there is something about that moment in time when you're being put under quite a lot of pressure and it can, can sometimes just be from yourself, not, ne- not necessarily from, from parents or, or anyone else, just that you're under a lot of pressure to make quite big decisions or at least decisions that when you're that age you think are going to be something that you're going to have to stick with for quite a long time. You know, people might be wondering whether or not they want to go to university, they might be wondering what job they want to do, they might be wondering what subject that they want to study, and all of these things feel so, you know, like the end of the world. And so quite often, I think at that time, that's when people have these, have these kind of, have these love affairs with people that kind of exist, you know, that a lot of the talking that you might do might just be in the kind of the middle of the night. And it's all just takes on this sort of dreamlike quality and you're kind of using that physical connection with someone to escape having to think about all of those things that feel really sort of crushingly real and also not to be sort of crude about it or anything but I think when you're at that point of life sometimes that thing of um having a physical relationship with someone it can feel like you're kind of uh, getting into to something where you're you're pro- Progressing your understanding of other of other people, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you can see Ben there getting, you know, he's 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 gone from being someone that hasn't had any contact with a woman in that way before to getting to feel like he's sort of sexually competent. And I think at that moment where he goes to the strip club, he's sort of playing the part of someone who's, you know that moment in time in the 60s particularly he's got his shades on and he's probably thinking to himself yeah well just I'm an incredibly cool and liberated guy now I just take girls to to clubs where people are taking their clothes off and I'm just all really cool with it and then when he sees Elaine's reaction he sort of then you sort of see him kind of snap back to something more familiar to us from the beginning of the film and he thinks oh god I'm just playing a I'm playing a part that I don't know that I necessarily am really do you I don't know what you think about that Oh yeah, he's he's suddenly, like you say, he's playing a part and he's trying to be someone he's not because he thinks that if he's like that, there'll only be one date and Mrs. Robinson won't be too displeased. Um, And he's trying to maintain the relationship that he has, albeit the the one where they have to go off to hotels and 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 things like that. But um, yeah, he he starts seeing her vulnerability. You know, and, and to be honest, he put her in a position where she's going to end up in tears, and he suddenly realizes that, and that's when it turns, and he, he then makes the decision 
essentially to that this will be the relationship he's going to focus on at the expense of what he's had already. It's, it's an interesting one. It's not, you're not sure how many people really get that experience of of going from mother to daughter or father to son, whatever, like you know, <laughs> li- literally skipping generations. I wonder whether that thing that you that thing that you raised earlier about um, her having told Elaine that she was raped. When I was watching it this last time, I was sli- I was wondering whether she never actually intended to tell Elaine that she was involved with Ben. She was just using that as a threat to try and stop Ben from telling Elaine. But then when he does go ahead and tell Elaine, I was wondering whether at that point Mrs. Robertson makes the makes the decision to to tell her that she was raped. And I I don't and it's certainly certainly not the right decision to tell to tell her that but it does make you wonder whether it's that there's something about the society that they're living in that it's so frowned upon in that society for women to to not just have affairs but also to be you know to be as sort of sexually confident as someone as like Mrs Robinson is that she would rather her daughter think something so horrendous of Ben than she would her daughter think that she was in inverted commas you know a bad mother or a bad wife because there's something about the values of that society that it's just unthinkable for you know women not to be a bit more sort of conventional than Mrs Robinson is that makes sense. yeah well again that's, that's something that you know if this film was made today that's something that would be a lot more unacceptable and you know if she's in an unhappy marriage for whatever reason it's difficult to put yourself in that position where you'd rather say you know make something up or say that than the shame and and that's where you know even even the 60s where attitudes were changing around a lot of things you know even in the current climate you know gender attitudes are still in certain places and in certain ways still yeah a long way behind um you know, and the fact that that kind of almost paints her as a bit of a villain in a way, you know, this where she's told that lie, she's made that decision to say that's what happened yeah, in order to protect herself. And I'm not sure which answer or which reasonable explanation would have been better for, for Elaine in the long run, either she'd had a consensual relationship or she'd been assaulted. You know, when you come at it now, it's, it is a little bit. That's something that might have dated the film somewhat, but um, but even so, I mean, it's you know ultimately she's um, living with the decisions or trying to escape from some of the decisions yeah. that she'd made earlier. Yeah, and you feel as if everyone in the film is is kind of desperate. So it's not even it's not even necessarily that you think that Elaine does genuinely. I mean, you don't know. You don't know whether she is genuinely falling in love with Ben or whether she's just so desperate to escape marrying the makeout king that <laughs> she just, that Ben, you know, and understandably as well, Ben, there's something about Ben that feels more authentic. And I think that that, that occurs to the audience too. And that you just see that, that Elaine just wants to, and she also see, she'll see how unhappy her mother is. And I think that that exchange that she has with her mother right at the end, where Mrs. Robertson says it's too late and Elaine says not for me. You get, you get the sense that, you know, she's sort of saying there, I, I, I know that you, I know that you made 
decisions that have made you unhappy and I don't want to be as unhappy as you've been. And so sometimes, yeah, you think maybe it's just that Elaine's just looking around her trying to find someone that's going to help her get out of this situation and that is Ben, you know. There's something about Ben's obsession with with Elaine that makes you wonder whether a lot of the a lot of the depictions that we have of falling in love in films and popular culture in general sometimes it's just more about kind of people's flippant decisions to project stuff onto people rather than and then kind of run after them in a kind of obsessive way than they are about actually kind of considered decisions and i think that's why the ending of this film is so so brilliant and so you know as you say cited by so many different things is because that moment that he shows them he lingers on them in the bus after they've made the big escape you know a, a lesser film would end it 30 seconds earlier and he decides to let them live with the decision that they've just made and it sort of exposes the fact that Ben's sort of obsessive following Elaine around for the last 45 minutes of the film is actually just more about him trying to escape his decisions than it is about his, you know, deep respect for Elaine's character and love for everything about her. You know, he's not Harry at the end of When Harry Met Sally, is he? This isn't a woman that he knows really well in the way that Harry knows Sally. No, there, there is an element of pursuit in there and the whole it's almost like a Moby Dick kind of thing he's he's set on heart his heart on something and he's going to get it yes um and the the manner of which he was essentially stalking Elaine for a good chunk of the film and and being very persistent which you know to, to some people is quite endearing you know we'll leave it at that uh some people find that quite threatening and unpleasant um <laughs> you know everyone has different strokes and all that yeah, but um yeah. it's it, you know what watching it and she is i mean i guess from from an outsider's point of view that the marriage that she's set up for is is going to be very similar you'd imagine to what her parents had and almost you know expected of someone of that background in that environment where she marries someone and he's the make-out king or the shagger of the sixth form or whatever it is yeah. it's um just how it is and and she has to live with that because that's how life was and, and and still is for some but you know the fact that as you say at the end in the church when everyone's mouthing when <laughs> he's shouting elaine through the glass and they're mouthing and, and she sees all this she sees the the hate towards him as almost like she's running towards what she shouldn't it's like almost like a forbidden thing in a way yes yes this time when i watched it i did actually think the ending of the graduate is sort of a bit like it's kind of like it's riffing on romeo and juliet or something it's like these two people that you can see have to escape what they've been brought up in and you understand their instincts to escape that but at the end of the film they're kind of lying on top of each other having taken the poison and there's no and I'm not saying I'm not saying that Ben and Elaine definitely don't end up together happily ever after. But at the same time, there's something about what they've just done that is so hard to come back from. They don't have any plan. They don't know each other that well. 
so it all feels extremely reckless, extremely romantic, but not necessarily something that has a future ahead of it. So it kind of feels like two people having kind of sacrificed themselves for for the escape. I'd be interested to see if that relationship continued in in The Graduate 2 when they go round for dinner at her parents. We saw a couple of brief moments of him interacting with Mrs Robinson and, you know, she called the police on him when he turned up at the house and things like that. And, you know, at what point will that ever be accepted? I know Elaine said that the parents were going to divorce, but um, I'd be interested to see more interaction between Elaine and, and her mother as well because we we don't get a lot we don't get a lot of just those two no what do they talk about do they share compare notes i don't know oh god well i i was wondering whether ben's attraction to to elaine might indicate that his feelings towards mrs robertson go a bit deeper than we're led to believe because there could be an argument to suggest that what he sees in Elaine is um, someone who has elements of the person that he's uh, been sleeping with and is a socially acceptable person, a version of that person for him to, to get together with. It does also when he he meets Elaine, to, or at least when he takes her out for a date, comes shortly after that scene between him and Mrs. Robinson where he does ask Mrs. Robinson to open up to him a bit and asks her about her past so yeah maybe maybe his obsession with elaine is sort of just an extension of his growing crush on mrs robinson possibly and i suppose as well it's um you kind of i don't know if this is a theory or not but like you always think you you know what your potential girlfriend or wife or partner is going to look like by looking at their mother so i guess if he fancies the mother when she's double the age then you know, he knows that maybe what he feels for Elaine might be long term too. That's somewhat superficial way of looking at it, but it's um, yeah, it is a weird one. And I guess when you think about it, it's a compliment, really. You know, he's got a type. They're both women of that family. <laughs> um, they're both but... they're both sixties icons. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you relate to Ben when you're watching this film? Um, I, I suppose in, in a way it's, it's it'd be weird to kind of put yourself in that position if it's never happened to you where you're young and, and you're at that stage of life where, like you said, you, you're feeling various pressures and you're not sure what to do and you're not sure how you're supposed to react. But um, I suppose to a lot of people it pro- probably is like a, a dream come true. You know, if, if your parents have an attractive friend and she suddenly comes on to you but it's um but then on on the flip side of that you know it's it, it must be strange then because you know you're you're suddenly like you touched upon earlier you, this isn't two people well it becomes that but this isn't two people exploring their kind of teenage years or, or early 20s or whatever together it's you know he's learning about love and relationships and stuff with someone who isn't opening up to him and he's having to be the one to try and bring it out, you know, especially when, you know, initially she's so confident, she's so, I'd say powerful, but she is enjoying pulling the strings a little bit and his confidence increases the more they go through this, 
the palaver of you know when he's trying to reserve the hotel room and it's all very it is a little bit slapstick almost you know um, oh that's so good is there something you want to tell me ben yes i want to, <laughs> I, I want you to know how much i appreciate this know the room number yeah i mean that's that's how nervous he is he's thanking her before they've done anything but yes um, i was listening to george michael's song too funky which samples the graduate this is the first that was the first time hearing that george michael song was the first time i heard the sample it was before i actually saw the film so i can remember when i watched the film for the first time getting quite excited going oh it's too funky um but in that song they have the repeated line don't they everybody wants a lover like that and is that true do you think do you think people want a woman who will have that kind of confidence i guess everyone would want to experience it yeah. Um, I, I think everyone, well, some, a lot of people want different things, but I think it would be. I mean, in the seduction. Yeah. Sense, I, don't I think. Mean, I think. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of people would would like to be on the end of that situation at some point in their life. Yes. Because it's, it is interesting for many ways. You know, you, you've got you know you're like a kid in a sweet shop almost probably and you know like we talked about in high fidelity where i think i'm not sure if they put it in the film but it was in the book where they said about like foreplay for example and how women who read cosmo want so much foreplay and that's all a 14 year old boy wants and the that's the ideal pair is a cosmo reading 30 something and a 14 year old boy (laughs) and it's something that it does tap into that sort of thing yeah that, that sort of desire from a lot of people and um and you can see as benjamin goes throughout the film and he gets that confidence and he gets you know he's happily dossing around his parents house during the summer because that's you know everyone's done that mm. but it's um you know he's got a bit of swagger and he's got he's got that emotional intelligence enough to recognize when elaine is is not enjoying herself and he suddenly becomes keen on her and there is an an honesty there where albeit he's coerced when mrs robinson says she's going to tell elaine yeah about the affair and he goes and does it first i mean it would have been tempting for a coward to call her bluff but he goes off and, and does it anyway you know bursts into her room and basically lets her find out. But um, I mean, that, yes, and that moment when he bursts in is, is such a contrast, isn't it, to the moment in her room with Mrs. Robinson from earlier on in the film, where she, that's where, because it's in Elaine's room that she comes in with her clothes off. Yeah. And then that moment then when he bursts in on Elaine later on and she's sort of very demurely covering, her, covering herself up. And you get that real sort of stark difference, don't you, in between them. Yes. stages of life between those two women. A quote that I took from, because Roger Ebert gave this film two reviews, one when he went to see it for the first time in 67 when it came out, and then another when he saw it again in 1997. And I took this quote from the 97 review where he sort of reassessed some of his views. He says, It is a movie about a tiresome bore and his well-meaning parents. The only character in the movie who is alive, who can see through situations, understand motives, and dare to seek her own happiness, is Mrs. Robinson. Seen today, The Graduate is a movie about a young man of limited interest who gets a chance to sleep with the ranking babe in his neighbourhood and throws it away in order to marry her dorky daughter. Blimey. 
not pulling his punches there, is he? <laughs> no, he's not. But I think it's a really, it's a really interesting take, and kind of turns some of what people think about the graduate on its head a little bit. I think, doesn't it? Because I think that um, because because Ben and Elaine are the are the younger people in it, we project maybe something something onto them. That um, and then we kind of think about their parents in, in a different way. Whereas he's making that point there that Mrs. Robinson is the truly liberated one. Yeah, I guess that's nature to a point. I guess you, you, you're more likely to identify with the people who are closest to you in in age and, and possibly life experience. Yeah. Because it's difficult it's difficult to put yourself in Mrs. Robinson's position unless you've lived that life. Yeah. You know, and, and I guess even if you you haven't it's difficult you know it's the sort of thing you might read in in a paper or something you're like you know and and this is going to make me sound a bit base and a bit something like out the in-betweeners but you know when you read newspaper articles about uh, female teachers sleeping with their pupils and all the and all the boys would go oh you lucky bugger you know and it's that kind of weirdness and maybe it is a difference between boys and girls or men and women I don't know but it's um but then to put yourself in the in the shoe on the other foot, you kind of think like you know when you do get to that stage in life, you do want an escape. You do want to experience something different because if she's been with the same guy who's obsessed with it plastics and smokes these cigars, and she's there because she got pregnant, you know, yeah, she, they something happened that led to them ended up getting married and essentially her wishing her life away. Yes, um, you know if you get to that position, then. I guess it's quite easy to take or throw yourself at something that presents itself because it's the appealing thing and and you do want to feel something again that you might not have felt for a long time. Ben, I think... I think you ought to be taking it a little easier right now than you seem to be. Mm. So a few wild oats. Take things as they come. Have a good time with the girls and so forth. Don't get up. It's Mr. Robinson who tells Ben that he should sow some wild oats. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is the the real pathos of it is that even though um, even though Mr. Robinson is is quite a um, unintentionally funny character, he is one of the only people that in the early part of the film that shows Ben a certain amount of kind of compassion and understanding in the sense that you know Ben's at the party at the beginning and it's all kind of so he's finding it really quite oppressive and everyone you know his mother's making speeches about you know what a what a great student he was and all of the different things that he did and then when he goes to uh, Mrs Robinson's house and Mr Robinson comes in suddenly you know he he says I think that you're going a bit hard on yourself you know you should take things easy for a while you should you know have some fun with the girls and all of that actually is really good advice (laughs) for Ben you know um it's just that Mr Robinson doesn't know what consequences it's going to have. Do you think that um, Mrs. Robinson wants to get caught because she says my husband won't be back for some time and then he appears? I think that's part of the thrill and the risk. You know, it's not just the the intimacy with whoever it happens to be. Yeah. I think there is, you know, th- there is an element in there where she wants to feel some excitement. And if, 
you know, because again, if, if she's going to say she was raped by Ben, then what's to say that if he, if the husband had come home, she had said that then. Yes. If, if pushed into that corner, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, that's, I think that's a lot of it, isn't it? It's not just the physical stuff. It's not just that. It's, there's adrenaline involved in, in anything, you know, whether it's being caught in a premier in on a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> so I keep saying premier in like we're being sponsored You're by being them. Sponsored. God, is that or darling Nikki or something like that? But it's um um but yeah it, it's it's that's a big part of it. And you know, yeah. th- there's something that again she probably missed out on when she was younger, the sneaking around, that kind of thing. Because if it ended up being she got knocked up in the back of a car by Mr Robinson mm. You know, that's hardly the stuff great novels or mediocre porn are written about. It's um, yeah. it's really quite sad. And, and yeah. you know, that's where you do get a bit of sympathy for her. I mean, it depends on the car. I mean, did she say it was a Ford? Um, <laughs> if it had been the Batmobile. Well, yeah, now you're talking. Yeah. Also, you're talking. I mean, another... No, you're completely right. And I think that you start to notice as well, as the film goes on, the fact that she's always Mrs Robinson... You never find out what her name is. So this is defined by her, you know, defined by her marriage. And then I think that there's no accident that the film ends, you know, with Ben screaming Elaine's name. It's unclear whether what is being said to Elaine is come away with me and marry me instead, or is it by calling her name again and again, is it kind of like a plea to Elaine to kind of have her own independence, you know, have her own identity. Don't just be Mrs. Um, Makeout King. You know, imagine the confidence of being christened Mr. Makeout King. I mean, that's, uh, you know, oh. Put yourself in his position. He must be a right Lothario. Yes. Yes. Well, it's an, it, do you think there's a... I, I was wondering whether the fact that we see Mrs. Robinson in all of that animal print and then when we see Elaine meet the Makeout King, it's at the zoo. And so maybe <laughs> there's meant to be a little... Little, you know, little nod there to say, oh yeah, look, he's got his pipe and he looks all square in his suit and everything. Yeah, because I think that's the first first impression you get of him is he's some kind of king dweeb or something. But it yes, turns out he's yes. he's a probably a sex pest. But it's yes. um, but then again, the the sign in the zoo said "Do not tease." So, but, um, so but, well spotted. But then something else I, I kind of thought about was you know all the stuff about animal print that she wears, and I mean I guess in in modern parlance she'd be called a cougar yes mm. do you think that it would have a very different feeling if it would if you flip the genders uh, i guess if it was done well enough no yeah but the problem is it would have to be done really well otherwise it would just become either crude or creepy or worse you know, they'd have to, yeah. it'd almost have to be a disclaimer at the start of the film saying, you know, everyone involved in this was over 18 and and that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think, you know, again, that's kind of the stuff that gets joked about in certain films and, and TV where, you know, the older man runs off with a younger, you know, friend of his daughters or something like that. And, it's, and they're portrayed as a proper sad case. Um, yes. And yet... You know, it'd be hard. Uh, I think there's almost like a frame of reference where if a guy, say if Mr. Robinson had gone out with, I don't know, an 18-year-old, 
that would be creepy. Whereas if she was like a maybe a early twenty secretary, that would be almost expected because they then yes. grow grow a ponytail and drive a sports car. <laughs> but um, you'd have to be really careful with that. Yeah, and I think the whole thing is very tied to to the way it works this way round because the fact that she's in that marriage because she got pregnant is such a specific thing that can only happen to a woman and um, it's also to do with uh, how you know marriages were perceived at that moment in time and what was expected of the wives and mothers so I think that yeah it doesn't it doesn't really work if you flip it because you know for, for all all kinds of reasons yeah I mean there's there's always caveats but I think yeah, yeah. Generally, generally generally that's right yeah and another thing is that he I realized as well that at the end of the film when he's with Elaine finally she's married by then which means that True. the only two yeah the only two girlfriends that Ben has had so far in his life have both been married women again he has a type <laughs> if they're single it's too complicated I don't know. It's, um, just too easy yeah, yeah, you've got to have a challenge haven't you yeah completely I know that this is I know that this is one of Jerry Seinfeld's favourite films and okay. I think that when you're watching when you're watching something like Seinfeld a lot of the, the, the scrapes that someone like George Costanza gets himself into <laughs> I feel like quite, I'm quite inspired by by different bits of the film like um like that that bit where Ben comes in and says, "I'm going to marry Elaine Robinson." They go, "Oh, that's fantastic!" Just you know, like, "Oh, you know, we better call her parents and don't don't call her parents." You know, she doesn't know about it yet. It's like, oh, well, this idea sounds a bit half baked. No, no, it's not half baked. It's completely baked. I always think, like, yeah, it's very very Costanza. <laughs> <laughs> God, now you've said that, I'm just going to imagine George Costanza was Benjamin instead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that that um that whole thing of getting him from the wedding and then at the end sitting on a bus and thinking I've made a terrible mistake is very George Costanza. <laughs> so if he so, wouldn't be on a bus, he'd be in John John Voight's car or something. Like yes, that. yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. Um, <laughs> did um did you see Wayne, Did you see Wayne's World too before you saw this film? Oh yeah, a thousand times. I I say I only saw The Graduate last year. Um, mm. I saw Wayne's World 2 at the cinema when it came out in, what, 94, at least two or three times. So, again, yeah. it was kind of, I think I knew what it was in reference to, but that yeah. was it. Obviously, I hadn't seen the film and, and wouldn't for another, God, 25-odd years. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that so, shows how incredibly influential this film was. And to to have, to kind of dedicate the last 20 minutes of your film <laughs> to a recreation of um you know a film that came out in 1967 yeah when it's when it's this kind of film as well it's not even it's not like a superhero film or something it's just it's actually you know quite uh it's an incredibly sort of thoughtful film isn't it about about relationships between between men and women and Mm. to, to think that you know it had that much of a big effect is is phenomenal and i think that i think the reason that i love it so much it's definitely definitely one of my favorite films is because it's kind of where it's where the kind of really good comedy films like if you think about sort of like Billy Wilder films or um Neil Simon plays and those kind of things where it meets sort of um 
like kind of uh, very European flavored cinema where where there's a lot of space and silences and kind of atmosphere and it all looks extremely stylish and I like the way it kind of fuses those two things uh, and I think it's quite it's quite rare isn't it where you have a really funny film that also looks as incredible as this film does and feels as atmospheric and you know and in places really quite sexy so yeah it feels like a ad- a comedy film that's for adults if that makes sense <laughs> yeah and if you're talking about silence and the importance of that, then of course there's a great soundtrack as well, Simon and Garfunkel, which I guess if you're talking about popular culture, I think most people probably would have heard the song Mrs. Robinson before they seen the film these days. Completely. In Simon and Garfunkel's music, and specifically in Paul Simon's songwriting, that's very, that's very thoughtful and um, both uh, yeah, has this real sort of poignancy to to the melodies, but also he can be very witty, and it kind of stands outside that the musical trends that I was talking about earlier. So it's it's certainly not a kind of easy listening Engelbert Humperdinck, Tom Jones area at all, but it's also not like Mick Jagger, you know, throwing himself around the stage or Jimi Hendrix burning his guitar. It's got this sort of like separate. It's like it's occupying this separate space where it's almost like um, it's almost like Simon and Garfunkel are like Louis Theroux at the orgy, as they say <laughs> in Peep Show. I kind of looking at kind of the, the the sort of strange strands of culture that are going on around them and managing to create this music that stands outside it, that has these kind of folkish flavours to it, but also kind of infuses sort of things that feel very fresh. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the music you know so well known um it stands on its own you know a lot of a lot of films where the score or the soundtrack are done by one person or one artist or one group you know sometimes they are a bit too associated with the film but i think most of this i mean obviously mrs robinson is an outlier in that but i think most of it you know works alone it's as much a showpiece for them as it is for the film i mean it's almost like every possible part turned up and everything had to work together to to make the film so good and it did and and it and the tone changed throughout the film as well where the darker stalkery bits it all fitted in perfectly nicely too Well, as we fetch our toothbrushes and separate our wooden coat hangers from the wire ones, we leave you with one word, just one word, plastics. I've been Rich. I've been Kat. And this has been Don't You Want Me? <laughs> <laughs>